Hello, my friends. A bit of a different show today. I'm talking about one of the most beautiful prime ministers in the world. Now, you might be saying that's like the tallest short guy, beautiful prime ministers. Are there even any who meet that description? Well, I mean, the standards are lower. It's not like saying the most beautiful woman in Hollywood. The most beautiful prime minister in the world, I think, is Santa Marin of Finland. She's not just beautiful. She's a party girl out dancing in clubs and drinking and men, and which is sort of funny for a 36-year-old mother. But my question is more, is that the right thing for a prime minister to do? Prime minister who's raising the stakes in a possible escalation against Russia. I'll show you the latest and I'll give you my thoughts on it. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. It's important for today's show. I wanted you to see the videos of her being a dancing queen, a party girl. Uh, if you don't see it with your own eyes, you won't understand exactly what the fuss is about. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get my show every weeknight. That's 20 times a month. Plus, we have four weekly shows all together. That's 36 episodes a month. I think it's a good deal. Eight bucks, that's a bargain. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and... That's how we pay the bills here, because we don't take any money from Trudeau like most media do. Okay, here's today's show. Tonight, Finland has a party girl as a prime minister. It's August 24th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back in the chair here. And special thanks to my friends David Menzies and Sheila Gunn-Reed who've been covering for me. I've been doing a little bit of traveling for business, but I also had some elective surgery earlier this week, which took me out of uh, commission for a couple of days. So I'm fine. No need to worry. It was all planned and everything went great. Uh, I just want to explain my absence. I love doing the show, but I have other commitments from time to time. I'm lucky to have colleagues like Sheila and David to do such a great job in the chair. I want to show you some news it's not going to look like news at first. It's going to look like, a, I don't know, a rock video with beautiful models. Take a look at this video. saw this a few weeks ago they, they sort of look cool the beautiful people um i saw that a couple weeks ago and then here's another one less a music video i think this was shot in a bar take a look
are those super cool, beautiful people? Well, they're not actually supermodels. They're politicians, which actually means they're even prettier. What I mean by that is, you know, the standard for politicians is so low. Uh, even someone like Justin Trudeau can be called handsome. I think in Hollywood, he would not be, but compared to other politicians, he would be. And the star of those videos, the dancing girl, is Sanna Marin, the prime minister of Finland, videoed intimately close to various men at the parties, wild nights, booze and drugs. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with being a libertine, I guess, certainly nothing illegal, Um you don't have to be Christian to listen to the words of 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's something to be said for, you know, growing up. Uh, if you're 18 years old, I, I can understand it. But maybe a 36-year-old mom, it's time to put away childish things and, I don't know, be a mom, be a grown-up. The drugs and booze. She claims that she wasn't on drugs, but the public pressure made her take a drug test to prove it. I don't know. Maybe a, a prime minister shouldn't be partying like that. Um, it's not a one-off. She is a party girl. She's partied in the past, had to apologize in the past. She partied during the COVID lockdowns, which irked people not just because she's a party girl, but because she was partying while telling anyone else not to. You couldn't gather for a funeral or a family gathering, but she had to hit the clubs. It gets a little risque. I mean, topless models kissing each other. Um, it's it's not normal for a prime minister. It's not even normal for a 36-year-old mom, I don't think. Um, Western liberals, though, absolutely love it. She's a boss girl. That's how it's done. She's liberated, and she is so pretty. It's been a feminist defense. Anyone who criticizes her is just sexist or jealous of how cool she is. I, I, I don't doubt that she's free and freewheeling, but is she wise or responsible or trustworthy? Would, would true feminist icons like Margaret Thatcher behave like that, or Golda Meir, the former... Israeli PM or Indira Gandhi? I don't think so. You know, if you look at the roots of the word senator, alderman, alderman, older man, senator, senior, these words mean old. Old doesn't mean lifeless. Old typically is a surrogate for being wise, being experienced, being steady. We look for leadership amongst older people, not because we don't like the young, it's just the young haven't learned things yet, and we want the most learned people running our country. Look at this headline in the National Post by Sabrina Madu. She says, unserious attacks on Finland's Santa Marin about age, background. More politicians should behave like the dancing prime minister. So you're unserious to be worried about a playgirl, party girl. More politicians should be like that. Who is Santa Marin? Well, the World Economic Forum claims her as one of theirs. She's an up-and-comer like Trudeau. And like Trudeau, I think she's an empty vessel. Like Trudeau, I don't think she's a serious person. She's a mascot, an influencer. 
Remember the old videos of Trudeau dancing, Bangra dancing, costume parties. Like Trudeau, Santa Marin is now the top decision maker in Finland, a country that for years has been neutral, but has now just ended that and applied to join NATO with Trudeau's strong support. I'm worried that she might dance her way into a war with Vladimir Putin and drag other NATO countries like us in too. I don't know if you know anything about Finland. I've never been there. I've been not too far away in Sweden, I guess. Finland has had a precarious relationship with Russia for, actually for centuries. It was brutally invaded by the Soviets. Um, they fought valiantly, winter soldiering, snipers. The Finns know the threat from Russia, at least those who are older than 36, those who don't party. Finland is Western in its focus, but it has had a policy of strict neutrality so as not to give a pretext to the Russians to invade again. That's their public stance, or at least it has been for decades. Finland's approach to being a neighbor to a bully, being a neighbor to the authoritarian Russians, was actually cited by Henry Kissinger as a template for how Ukraine might be able to survive. Both Ukraine and Finland are understandably worried about Putin and his imperialism and his expansionism. Kissinger said both countries should be Western-oriented, Western-focused, free like the West, turned towards the West, but neither should prick the Russians into invading by agitating them on security grounds. Well, that is exactly what Santa Marin has been doing. Taking Finland out of neutrality and joining NATO, I am worried about Finland now. Not before, but now I am. Let me ask you this. Would you invite Taiwan to join NATO today? I mean, I am very pro-Taiwan. I've had the pleasure of visiting that democracy. I'm pro-Finland, though I don't know it as well. But isn't changing the status of those two countries destabilizing? I mean, you're changing an old order. I don't like the fact that Taiwan isn't an independent country recognized by the UN, but I understand that there is a deliberate vagueness there. And frankly, it was decided by the Western democracies to welcome communist China into the global fold to try and wedge against the Soviet Union. It was Canada, the United States, the democracies that said we will choose communist China. I don't like that. I don't like that history, but that's how it is. Do we really want to change decades of the status quo? Do you think it would be a good idea to have Taiwan join NATO too? And I say this is a top Taiwan defender, and I feel the same way about Finland. They've had a stance of nonpartisan neutrality for decades. Is it wise now that Putin is on an imperialistic rampage. Is it wise now to change the state of things? Let me read to you Article 5 of the NATO Treaty. This is the North Atlantic Treaty. I'm going to read it to you. It takes about a minute. The parties, that's what they call the countries, the parties agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against them all. And consequently, they agree that if such an armed attack occurs, each of them in exercise of the right of individual or collective self-defense recognized by Article 51 of the Charter of the United Nations, will, not may, but will assist the party or party so attacked 
by taking forwith, individually and in concert with the other parties, such action as it deems necessary, including the use of armed force to restore and maintain the security of the North Atlantic area. I like Finland, I like Taiwan, and I want to help each of them stay free. But would you sign a contract like that with either of them right now? Like Trudeau, Santa Marin is not a serious person. She's a mascot. She's an influencer. She loves being on Instagram. And uh, now she's a top decision maker. Um, she tried the feminist card. I'm a boss girl. You're just picking on me. You know, well, she, she actually started by being proud of who she was and running with it, leaning into it. That didn't quite work. People, I think, remembered the Russian invasion last time. So Santa Marin tried something very un-boss girl-like. She tried playing the I'm tough and strong card. Didn't work. So she tried crying at a press conference. Here's that. I don't know. I think you've got to pick a lane. Are you a strong feminist woman who can run a military in NATO and make big decisions rolling with Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden? Or are you just a girl who cries for sympathy and pity? I don't think you can do both. If she continues to dance, I fear she will dance her way into war with Putin and we will be dragged in too. I don't have a lot to say about Finland. I don't know a lot about it, but I know one thing. She must resign as prime minister now. She, at the very least, is at an enormous risk of blackmail. Imagine what Vladimir Putin's spies have on her that we haven't seen yet. She's a child, or at least childish. She's unstable. She's, objectively speaking, unready for the job. I think she's unreliable. I think she should go. Let it be another woman who takes over. I don't care a woman or a man. That's not the point. It has to be someone serious. Someone who spends their nights reading briefing notes, thinking about freedom and peace and security. Let her dance. Let her party. But let her resign first. It'll give her more time for the clubs. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, there's someone on the show wearing a tie which suggests he's a lawyer. I am not in trouble. I am not being arrested or anything like that. Actually, he's a friend and ally. His name is Mark Joseph. He's a senior litigator at the Democracy Fund. There's a lot of news going on in battles for civil liberties. Mark, great to see you again. Thanks for having me. I'm just joking around. I should wear a tie more often, but you look great. Um, the Democracy Fund, for folks, I mean, every single rebel knows what the Democracy Fund is. It's a civil liberties organization that does education and litigation. Lots of fight the fines cases, but these days, some very interesting things cooking. Why don't you give us an update on two projects? The first is Western University, and they're called to have mandatory boosters. And then second, we'll talk about something that the Democracy Fund just filed in court today, a challenge to the Arrive Can app. Both of these deserve their own show, frankly, but why don't you give us a couple minutes summary on each? Let's start with Western University. Sure. So <clears throat> Western University on August 22nd instituted a booster mandate. So that means that not only are you required to be have your 
vaccinations, you're required to have a booster. Um, or a third shot. A third shot. That's correct. Uh, and that caught many people off guard. I think there's been some pushback they've received, um, especially for people moving into residence who are facing now that that they have to get boosted and they're in a time crunch. So there's been there's been a lot of concern and we're looking at that situation. We expect that we might send a letter expressing our concerns to Western shortly. Okay. So... Um I, as far as I know, that is not that booster requirement is not an order by any legislature or public health officer. That's not the standard working in a long-term care home, working in a hospital. That seems to be something that Western University has decided they're going to go out there and do that no one else in the country is doing, either politically or medically. They're just they just made it up. That's right. Um, the universities paused their uh, mandates, I think in May. And that was after the provincial government said, you don't have to have a post-secondary vaccine mandate. Uh, but some of these universities on their own have decided to reinstitute their vaccine mandates. U of T was one of them. They just came out with a residence booster mandate and Western followed suit with a more general campus-wide booster mandate. Uh, but other universities are not instituting a, a vaccine mandate, which shows that there's some inconsistency here. Um, I don't know if the medical science is different or the, obviously the conclusions each university reached are different. So I don't know what's going on. Ezra. Yeah, I saw, I think Guelph today just announced they are not doing it. And it's ridiculous. It's as if the coronavirus has a different opinion based on if you're in Guelph or, uh, you know, Western University or U of T. Or it, it, there's no science to it. It's all politics. Now, you mentioned August 22, just a few days ago. They had all summer. Boosters have been available for months. I'm a skeptic. I think they left it to the last minute to ambush people. So people say, oh, my gosh, I've made all my plans. I paid my tuition. I've moved to the new city. I've, I'm about to start my life in college. And they're throwing at this at me. It's enormously difficult for me to do anything other than comply. Uh it seems like such a bad faith move to leave it to the last minute. That feels very political, not medical. Yeah, it's definitely thrown a lot of people um, a curveball. And and a lot of parents of students and a lot of students are quite frankly shocked by this turn. Uh, and I don't know what they're going to do because, as you say, there's not a lot of time between now and move-in um, to make alternate arrangements if if they have to. Now, I don't want to uh, announce anything before it's announceable, but theoretically, is there something that could be done? And I'm not saying to say what you're going to do, but what could be done um, to help these students, especially in a in a urgent basis? I mean, these kids can't wait a year or two. They, they're making this decision in the next week or two. Right. So... We always like to approach um, these types of situations um, amicably, and we're looking to come to some resolution with universities. Um, but if we get no um, positive response, then yeah, I, you, we could look at litigation. Yeah, that's something that, that all, a lawyer always can look at it if, if there's no positive movement. Well, we'll wait and see if there's any news from the Democracy Fund on that before we talk about it. And I want to switch gears because a piece of litigation that was, in fact, filed today is something we've been talking about 
for months, actually. It's the Arrive Can app. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I've actually not left the country since the before times. But anyone who comes back to Canada has to download an app on their smartphone. So you, first of all, you need a smartphone. You must download this app and you must put your vaccination info into it. If you look at the privacy policy, though, not only are you being forced to say what your vac status is to come into the country, even, even though you're a citizen, it says right on the app that they will share this information with a host of organizations, including international agencies, obviously the World Health Organization and, and others. I find that insane that you must give your vaccination status to the, let's be candid, China-controlled World Health Organization to be allowed back in your country. And if you don't, you get massive fines. Well, the Democracy Fund filed a, a charter challenge for that today, didn't we? When I say we, I mean the Democracy Fund. That's right. Um, it's something that we've been looking at for a while. Um, and as you say, we've had some concerns with respect to the language used in the privacy statement. Uh, and it's caused, the Arrive Can app has caused immense frustration to travelers coming through those airports. And I think that's uh, caused those lines that you're seeing. Um, so, but mostly the fact is that that when you upload your private health information um, to the ArriveCan app, uh, it goes to various entities. I think other organizations was the phrase that they use. That could mean anyone, literally anyone they want to, and they may change that list and we don't even know who. Right. I mean, it's vague enough language that, that uh, the government can just hide behind it and say, look, uh, we sent it on to XYZ organization, and it's right there in the privacy statement. Um, you accede to that when you uploaded your documentation, so tough luck. Um, and the other the other issue we had was that um, the information could be used to uh, determine your eligibility for access to border programs or something like that. It's very vague language, and it, it's seemed to indicate that they could use this information to determine your your access to the country somehow. It, it's very vague. Um, and that kind of vague language uh, lends itself to government overreach and abuse, we found. And they'll keep the information for at least several years, they say. They may extend it. I, I was talking to some folks uh, the other day who go back and forth across the border, and they thought, they said to me that they have never told any government institution their vaccine status, these two guys. And that they thought that this ArriveCan app was a way to force more people to go on the record in some way, sort of like the old firearms database. The government wants to know. Like, I have never told a government institution if I'm vaxxed or not. I've never, because I've, I've never left the country. I've never um, applied for, I, I never interacted with the government in a way that would require me to give that information. This, I, I think there's two things behind it. First of all, they want to force people to give them that private information and saying you can't come to your own country is a powerful way. But the second thing is I think they, as Yuval Noah Harari says, COVID was the shock that wobbled people so much. We allowed the government to do surveillance of us in a way never before. Uh, Harari of the World Economic Forum talks about surveillance under the skin. And that that was the great opportunity of COVID. It, it shocked us into a, accepting something we never would. Here's that clip, just in case you haven't seen it. Here's Yuval Noah Harari, who's basically Klaus Schwab's muse at the World Economic Forum. He's so excited, not about COVID, but what COVID let him get away with. Take a look. 
Ovid is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We're now seeing mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, above all they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Mark, I think that's it. I think that persisting with this Arrive Can app when I don't know any other country in the world other than China that has something similar, I think Trudeau is being very clear. The app is what he wants. He doesn't even care about COVID anymore. He wants the app. The government doesn't seem to want to give it up. And they've mentioned digital IDs in the past. Um, they might be connected. I'm not sure. But I think every Canadian should be a bit worried when the government wants to mass collect private health information. Yeah. Well, I'm just delighted that the Democracy Fund has filed that charter lawsuit today. Uh, you can read it for yourself. Read the whole thing I have. It's at noarrivecan.com. And if you want to chip in to help cover the legal costs, the thing about a charter challenge is the government throws everything they can at it. Obviously, all the lawyers at the Justice Department, they drown you in witnesses and paper. It's a big battle. If you make a contribution, the money goes to the Democracy Fund. It doesn't go to Rebel News. It goes to the Democracy Fund. So you will get a charitable tax receipt for it. Go to thedemocracyfund.ca to learn more about the charity or go to noarrivecan.com to chip in. We'll mark a lot of things going on there. If you make a move on Western University, come back and keep us posted on that because I know there's a lot of parents at that university and others who are very nervous. We'll do so. All right, there you have it. Mark Joseph, senior litigator with the Democracy Fund. Big news on the noarrivecan.com and something to watch on Western University. Stay with us. Your letters to me are next. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer mailed to me on Avi being denied entry to New Zealand. BB says they're scared to let Avi in the country. Well, yes, and I'll tell you why. As you know, Avi Amini has, for two years running, won our Viewer's Choice Award for Best Rebel. Now, I love all our rebels. It's like asking a father to say which son is his favorite. I love all my kids equally. But our viewers vote and they chose Javi because he is a one-man army. And he has done more to change the political discourse in Australia than any other person. And New Zealand lacks an Avi Amini. And so if Avi was going to go there, not only would he do journalism himself, but he might find a local New Zealander to join our team. And maybe he would inspire other people to join the battle. They kept him out because, as Jacinda Ardern says... If you don't hear it from the government, you can't trust it. Remember she said that very early on? Do not believe anything you don't hear from the government. Here's that old clip. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. 
otherwise dismiss anything else. We will continue to be your single source of truth. We will provide information frequently. We will share everything we can, uh, everything you are, else you see, um, a grain of salt. Uh, and so I really ask people to focus on that. Yeah, are you surprised that, that the political tyrant who says, don't believe anything other than what I tell you, wants to keep Abiy Amini out? Next letter on Sheila's monologue on Teresa Tam, Jimmy Zhao says, I question where doctors time, Dr. Tam's loyalties lie. Now, Jimmy, I appreciate you saying that. I judge by your last name that you may be of Chinese ethnicity as well. Let me tell you my question about Dr. Tam's loyalties. It's not about her ethnicity or her country of birth. It's about the fact that she was on the board of directors of the World Health Organization, a a particular board to deal with the pandemic, at the same time she was serving as Canada's public health officer. So she had two bosses, two oaths of loyalty, two confidentiality clauses. I'm sorry, you can't ride two horses at the same time. And you'll recall that in January 2020, Teresa Tam was on a... World Health Organization board that had a vote, as if that's science, that had a vote on whether or not to call uh, the virus a pandemic or or deadly, or they, they were sort of judging how the response would be. That vote was secret. To this day, Teresa Tam has not said whether or not she sided with China or the free world. Why can't we have the right to know that? Because she had an oath of loyalty and an oath of confidentiality to the World Health Organization. We showed you that in 2020 when we got that extensive information request. That's what I mean when I challenge Dr. Tam's loyalty. It's got nothing to do with her ethnicity. Some people say, oh, that's what you mean. That's not what I mean at all. Just like I challenge Christia Freeland's loyalty. She is on the Board of Governors for the World Economic Forum. How can you swear loyalty to Klaus Schwab, promise that you will keep your fiduciary duty to him, that you will give your loyalty and service to him while also representing Canada's interests. I'm sorry you cannot have two masters. On David's Peterborough tickets for shaking hands and laughing, uh, Bruce Hutchison says, pay the fine with nickels and dimes. Governments love to nickel and dime us, so give it to them. That's really funny. You know, I haven't had a chance to talk at length with David about that. He did talk to me um, briefly on the phone. I think we should consider appealing it. And obviously, that makes no sense from a financial point of view, but it makes sense from a moral point of view. I think that these bullies have to be taken down a notch, and I don't feel like bending the knee. I don't know. I'm going to get some advice from the lawyers to see that's just not a fool's errand. But but losing in court makes me want to appeal. What do you think? That's our show for today. Great to be back in the chair. I'm sorry that I that I was away, and I, I will have a few more days off as well. My goal is to get these away days done during the summer, and uh, I really enjoy doing the show, so I'm, I'm sad when I haven't been here, but it was for elective surgery yesterday and the day before. That's it for me for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel News Network, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.